Diane, it's 10.52 p.m. Welcome to the ninth episode of Twin Peaks Peaks. Is it nine? This is episode... Eight? Am I wrong? I thought it was episode eight plus the pilot. I'm I'm pretty sure it's... Eight? <laughs> I'll, I, nine? I must apologize for my, my, what, rolling of my peas? I don't know. <laughs> my, my fattening of my peas? Uh... <laughs> I'm pretty sure. It's a plosive, actually. Oh, okay. All right. Ashley, I've taken some linguistics classes, <laughs> Brant. Um, okay, I told you. This is episode eight plus the pilot. It's No, it's episode eight, not plus the pilot. It's episode eight total. I'm, I'm uh, 90% certain because I just okay, started a file for this podcast and it did not throw up an error when I just typed in... You know, TPP8. Okay. So it is the eighth episode. It's the ninth week because we took a week off. That's what it is. Hey! hey! <laughs> I'm, I'm Matthew. I can count the number of episodes in Twin Peaks Season 1, Olsen. Uh, <laughs> uh, there is no revival news this week. Um, but unlike last week, we did remember to get food. So there will be a damn fine food segment. Uh, in this week's episode, the season one finale, uh, the last evening, it's a doozy. It's a doozy of an episode. Yeah, it's also the only episode that Mark Frost directed, and one of many that he wrote. But it is the first one that he has written without David Lynch so far. I can tell you, this is definitely a Mark Frost episode <laughs> in terms right? of the content. Like if you if you just remember that he was on Hill Street Blues, he's one of the creators of Hill Street Blues, mm-hmm. an action-driven show. Yes, yes, yes. I think that puts a lot into perspective. Where do you want to start talking about the explosive, exciting season finale? Also, I guess the this is the season finale of our podcast, right? Except we come back next week. We come back next week. We already well, we have week to. Off. We have to build in. I just feel like we should try to mirror the show a little bit and like have <laughs> some really exciting things happen this week, like things that are consequential for the like the future of this podcast. You know, <laughs> like we should inject some personal drama. Is all I'm saying. Okay. There's no better time. <laughs> all right. Um. So Who the, do you want to talk about? Sorry. Okay, the first note that I have, actually, you can just take a look. <laughs> uh, I, let me read it out for the listeners. Donna in a baseball cap. A look? Um, I remember uh, also noting, like, Donna's got a baseball cap on, which I think if we both notice it, it is a look. Yeah. I think it's normcore is what the kids You're are calling it so these days. so right. Oh, my God. It's Donna's normcore look. That's where we're going to start the episode, is look segment this week. Oh my god. We're not like five minutes in and you've already dropped your phone again. Sorry. (laughs) Um, Well, look, that just, this is one of the recurring thematic elements of our podcast, is the phone dropping. Sorry. um, No, but that's like, that's like her detective outfit is like, I'm going to put on a baseball cap and no one in this town of 5,000 or 50,000 people are going to recognize me. Yeah. Not the the smoothest disguise, I think. My um, other note from that scene, it's just really quick. She pushes the button in the wall. They're in Jacoby's office. And okay. that music starts playing. 
And then she, like, gets mad at James that she, like, pushed the button and the music starts playing. Yeah. When this is clearly, like, her problem. Um... So, so, so we were referencing that look, and now I remember. It's been a couple days since I watched the episode. Yeah. Uh, but my notes are all my notes, and they, they, they track with my memory. But talking about the very start of the episode, I just want to say the slow pan over Dr. Jacoby's office. Yes. Like, it felt to me like this explains everything. Like, the whole choice of throwing these quirks is, like, love of the beach life. Um, it's onto not even Jacoby. like beach life. It's very specifically like Polynesian culture. Yeah, that whole thing was just like a setup for this like long shot that gets to luxuriate over the pan across this office because it, it's such. If you're watching this just like with the opening credits of the show immediately preceding it, it's so dissonant mm-hmm. to go from mm-hmm. Snoqualmie Falls to this like palm tree backdrop and then like crashing ocean wave sound and like that kind Mm -hmm. of thing like that whole vibe like it's you go from uh nirvana to fucking margaritaville is what it is (laughs) like it's that harsh of a transition and it's that kind of thing that twin peaks like i don't know if i would call it like the frost touch but it's definitely emblematic of the show is that the show can luxuriate all at once in it's Northwestern setting, and it can also throw you for a loop by throwing you into uh, Cooper's Dream or something out of the blue. It can, like, keep you on your toes in that way. Um, and even though this is, like, yeah, it's just a physical office, like, it's still different enough to feel different and to stand out in that way. Well, yeah, and I was also going to make a joke about, like, admiring his commitment to his aesthetic, Jacoby's commitment to his aesthetic, but I think it also really mirrors the show's commitment to its aesthetic through its, like, um, set design, costume design, sort of the approaches that they take in visually arranging the series and its production. This episode is obviously um, very full of the color red, for instance, Mm -hmm. which was a very purposeful choice. Yes. Yes, it was. Um, Cool. I love. I would love to hang out in that office, drink a, drink a margarita, and eat a cheeseburger in that paradise. Uh, that's how you should redecorate your place. I am looking, um, you know, in various places for sort of like design inspiration. I don't think Twin Peaks is that because no, no, no. Jacoby's office. Well, I don't want Jacoby's office, nor do I want, like, zigzag floors and red curtains, because that would probably wig me out. Nor do I want, like, a large deer head hanging from my wall. There's not a lot of... I could... Well, I know if, you know, if I had time and money to change my shitty... <laughs> uh, shitty Portland apartment into the Great Northern, I would love that. That's, that's up my alley. <laughs> I was, uh, just last week, I was... At the uh, the ski cabin that belongs to our alma mater, uh, I here's something about me. I just hate that phrase for some reason. Yeah, I it can't believe like, you just used it. Yeah, it seems like alma mater is always busted out in like the worst, the worst kind of like conversation. That but anyway, is correct. Is at the ski cabin, and I'm I mainly go there not to hike in the summertime, not to ski in the wintertime because I can't ski. But just to, like, hang out in a cabin. There's something, like, so nice about <laughs> the that. The cabin feel. 
Yeah, I like the cabin feel. That's why I like the Great Northern. Um, uh, so, before we leave our weird, wonderful friend, Dr. Jacoby, he gets totally fucked up by a mystery person. Dude, wait, I know. <laughs> <laughs> In the show, that happens. Um, and it's something that, this is, you know, my, what, my third, fourth time watching this episode, but I've always, I always, like, seem to forget uh that story beat or at least how intense and like kind of legitimately frightening it is um and he has a heart attack like it's so bad that he has a heart attack and then it's just like it's it's nice because going back and always forgetting this it's just like oh yeah jacoby i feel bad for you you are weird you had a very inappropriate relationship with laura palmer of some kind but also like these like mystery kids, Donna Baseball Cap Hayward and James um, uh, Cocaine in the tailpipe. Well, yeah, well, in the in the gas tank. Gas tank. <laughs> well... Tailpipe cocaine is of a much lower quality um, than the kind that Leo and Bobby are trying to sling. In any case, not the place to store your cocaine. I f- you sure? I yes. feel like I feel like that has to be based like it's because you're right it stood out to me too like the you know who the fuck would put a baggie of cocaine in a gas tank like that doesn't make any sense but then i realized that i'm not someone who would ride a motorcycle and try to smuggle cocaine across borders or anything like i know there's like a million other places you could potentially hide it in a bike but also maybe that's happened like the hell's angels are a thing they have transported well, it just, drugs it like, doesn't seem safe because like if there's a hole in the bag then your your cocaine is ruined right there's that investment right down the if, toilet if there's a hole in the bag but also that's assuming that you're moving like what just like a handful of bags of cocaine and it's just like oh man i lost one and now my business is sunk like no this is like this would be large quantities and losses happen even in the drugs business more people die when a bag or two gets lost in the drugs business i'm sure but you know now i'm now now i'm gonna be up at three in the morning immediately after we finish recording this podcast at this rate (laughs) looking up like have people transported drugs <laughs> in the gas tank of motorcycles in real life? Yahoo Answers, has that happened? Um, anyway. Uh, yeah, so I was saying, like, this is definitely a Mark Frost episode, and I feel like Mark Frost episodes are, um, in terms of, like, his, like, this one is, like, mostly written by him, by the lines that stick out, and you're not sure whether they're good or bad in context. Mm-hmm. Um, we get more time, uh, with Cooper and company at One-Eyed Jack's and Cooper finally talks to, uh, Jacques and gets Mm -hmm. the, like, confession out of him. Great discomforting shot of Jacques' mouth as he's saying that stuff. Right? What did you think of that? Oh, that was the worst. Other than your visceral, other than your visceral reaction, like, I'm sure you... I mean, like, obviously it was, like, supposed to make the audience uncomfortable. It was supposed to make him into an unsympathetic character, Mm -hmm. um, which I think is appropriate considering kind of what he's involved in, and I think it... I'm... Sometimes I think that, um pieces of media go out of the way to humanize and create sympathy for 
bad people mm-hmm. and that audiences um can kind of easily fall prey to that um part well of heisenberg is the uh he's the protagonist of breaking bad yeah and you're supposed to root for him because he's a badass right <laughs> hi i have a hi i have an iq of 76 and um, uh <laughs> but uh point being I wrote my thesis about this um, to a large extent, um, but I thought that that was like a your very thesis for your alma mater. Mm, yes, um, <laughs> but it was like a very like it was a really good way to like make the audience feel like viscerally creeped out by this dude, not just like intellectually, mm-hmm. like oh yeah, I guess he's a bad dude, but like mm-hmm. it was a very real like discomfort. But also, the shit that's coming out of his mouth, penned by Mark Frost, oh is so... Like, the situation he describes with Leo and the bird and Laura is, like, terrible. But then, the the quote that Jacques gives that is supposedly from Leo's mouth... Um, I'm going to do my best to uh, imitate Jacques Renault right now. Bite the bullet, baby. (laughs) Um, You just have to watch his lips uh, real up close. I have more lines like this that have stuck out to me from this episode that, for various reasons, I can't tell if I actually like the line or if the line is just memorable, in part because it is telegraphing something so bluntly, like... Leo and Jacques are bad men. <laughs> when that's the con, given the context and the delivery of that line, by the bullet, like it's like there's no other takeaway. Yeah. Um, which is you know, like you said, it's unambiguous, which is nice when sometimes it's nice when actually media is just strong enough to be like, no, this is a bad person, yeah, yeah. and I don't want to give you the room to be like, oh, the hero of the story is yeah. actually Jacques Renault. He's just a <laughs> Hard-working French-Canadian <laughs> smuggling drugs across the border and also mistreating women. Oh, wait, that doesn't sound right, but I don't have critical thinking skills. Like, it doesn't leave room for that kind of thing yeah. so much. Yeah. Um, do you want to know the one line that I took down from this episode? Yes. He might not be a mystery man, but you might be history man. That's another one? <laughs> <laughs> you might be history man. Okay, I'm just gonna, let's just do some Twin Peaks. Ooh, this could be a new segment where we, like, try to deliver our, like, standout lines from the episode. Okay. I don't, I don't have any other ones like that, so you can go. Okay, um, this is, this is Andy in the episode, uh, when asked about, um, uh, his relationship with Lucy. Uh, and where that stands. As we say in the law enforcement gang, the trail's gone cold. <laughs> um, okay, do you want to hear my... Do you want me to do my best Laura? Yeah. My best Laura 100%. Palmer? 100%. Okay. God, James is sweet, but he's so dumb. I can only take so much sweet right now. <laughs> Actually, wait, can we talk about Laura's tape when you're done with this? We absolutely have to okay. talk about it. Um... Uh oh! Here comes mom with milk and cookies. <laughs> like these are the lines. These are the lines that I'm just like, yep. These are Mark Frost wrote these. Um, do I have any more? When <laughs> when Leland just says hospital. <laughs> like, um, yeah, I think another. Well, what kind of dangerous game have you been playing? I don't know. Fuck me, I didn't even write down who, wrote, <laughs> who said that. Good. Oh, I do love um, 
before we get to Laura's tape that uh, I think Lucy's nickname, if I caught it correctly, was Punky? Yes! <laughs> uh, let's talk about Laura's tape but quickly because I led with that Andy line. Okay. Let's talk about the Lucy and Andy okay, drama okay, of the episode. Okay, okay. So, most people had deduced from the previous episode that Lucy is pregnant and she breaks the news to Andy after he successfully fires his gun. And shoots Whoa, 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 wait. Okay, wait, think about what's happening there. He successfully shoots his gun, Mm -hmm. Lucy's pregnant, and there's something that the viewer who's watching along doesn't yet know in this equation, but that will, the pairing of those metaphors will make sense yes in the future in this situation the gun represents anyway <laughs> uh, i mean I, does does a gun ever represent anything else um if i have you ever heard of i think it's called zardoz it's this movie with sean connery uh, where, like, literally in the dialogue, characters are talking about how, uh, like, she's drawing the direct comparison between guns and penises, but it's, like, a fantasy movie, like, in a world gone wrong, and it's, like, matriarchy and all this stuff, but, like, gun, penis, direct comparison is drawn in the sand, um... Very interesting. Sean Connery wears, like, a red Speedo and, like, a red, like double like cross over the chest bandolier the whole movie and that's his outfit it's really tacky anyway wow but uh, but uh the important thing is that andy does not take the news of lucy's pregnancy well no and lucy does not in turn take him taking that news poorly well so what's gonna happen to the two most lovable characters in the sheriff's department we don't know piece of lingering drama number one for the season finale um laura's tape the tape that they the mystery kids worked so damn hard to get a hold of so i actually texted you about this tape before i came over here remember uh yes yes you did. so we've heard this tape previously Mm -hmm. um so it's gonna sound familiar and people on the usenet boards were pretty quick to point out that um that the tapes are different despite ostensibly being the same um both in terms of like delivery and the actual like written lines Hmm. did you notice that i did not notice that um continuity is not my strong suit couldn't it be different sides of the same tape no 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 like they're is that how tapes work no 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 no, how analog media works it's like like if you okay so the first tape the Mm -hmm. one that we hear um in episode two so this is after jacoby like has the locket and he's like received her last tape that she mailed him before she died um it starts with hey what's up doc it's laura palmer in case you haven't guessed i'm making you another one of these tapes which as you already know i've mailed to you in one of the envelopes you gave me it's Thursday the 23rd. I'm so bored. I'm in a weird mood. God, James is sweet, but he's so dumb. I should have met you a long time ago, Dr. Jacoby, because right now I can just take so much of sweet. I know I'm going to get lost in those woods again tonight. I just know it. Remember me telling you about that mystery man well. And that's when he puts mm-hmm. the headphones on and that cuts out. So in the delivery mm-hmm. for that tape, she's like, very obviously on the verge of sobbing and like very very upset 
Um, and then in the tape that Donna, Maddie, and James steal from Dr. Jacoby's office, which is ostensibly the same tape, it goes, Hey, what's up, Doc? It's Laura, in case you haven't guessed. No line here, so the line that was previously here is just gone. It's Thursday the 23rd, and I'm so bored. Actually, I'm in kind of a weird mood. God, James is sweet, but he's so dumb. And right now, I can only take so much of sweet. Hey, remember that mystery man I told you about? Well, and then we get the, like, yeah, mom milk. So there's, like, it's obviously, like, two different performances, and it's not just that, like, the tape has been, like, cut out mm-hmm. for some reason. So the question becomes, like, is this, like, a production error? Or, like, did Jacoby, like, have someone re-record this? What would the point be in that? Is there just a second version of this that exists? I would just, like, I wouldn't even necessarily chalk it up to it being, like, a production error. Like, you could also take the the leap and say, like, when episode two was written out, there were some things that weren't so crystal clear in the minds of the writers about what they wanted Laura's last tape to convey about Laura's character and, like, the important plot details as they were setting up that by episode eight, they were just like, well, 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 and then just like change it for the sake of changing it, hoping that no one would notice or not even conning it or not even thinking that no one, not even thinking about people noticing it. Like, well, and like the thing that I like kind of take issue with if they are just like retconning that original version mm -hmm. of the tape is it paints like a much more like flat, simplistic picture of Laura. Yeah. The, I mean, something about Laura's character, which I I think is both interesting and sort of a problem for the show, is that Laura's character is, in a way, constantly being retconned. Mm-hmm. Because we're getting these, we're getting what's ostensibly complete pictures of, of Laura's life, at least as mystery, as focal point of mystery, delivered to us, you know, kind of every couple episodes in the course of this mystery where it's like this is laura and i feel like every time a new piece of information comes out like we meet someone else who is close to laura like we're actually kind of being fed not just like something to flesh out that picture more we're kind of being fed a different version entirely well Um, and i think it like make that like what you're talking about right now like different people presenting different sides of laura like makes sense to a certain or like can be rationalized to a certain extent because like you act differently around different people that's mm -hmm. just like a fact of the human experience because you like use social cues to like read off of the environment um but the fact is that like this artifact should have been constant across time and it wasn't Right. Well, I mean, we live in a reality where the Berenstain Bears books... (laughs) (laughs) I have already made jokes about this on my other podcast. So we're in Timeline 2, where Laura was not crying when she recorded this I'm just saying, like, I think it's... You can... Obviously, the intent when people, like make revelations about Laura and like they knew that Laura was in trouble or they like were with Laura in this certain time or whatever. Those are meant to give us 
the audience like a fuller picture of Laura mm-hmm. and who she was, and it they do, but also sometimes it feels like it bleeds into like the attitude everywhere, where it's like someone was like Laura was into like darker shit than you knew, and then now like whenever anybody's talking about Laura, that's like the pall that hangs over it, mm-hmm. where it's just like, but no, you knew Laura is just like the nice the nice high school homecoming queen Mm -hmm. but like now you're like nah like but she but she was though it's like that wasn't what you said back in episode two like anyway well and i mean that also gets into another interesting point like have you listened to serial uh no i haven't listened to serial in fact i don't think we should promote them because people will just stop listening to our podcast and listen to them that is true Um, but the, there's this interesting part where they're interviewing someone who was, um, friends with the victim Mm -hmm. and they're saying, you know, what did you think of the guy who has been jailed for this crime? You know, when you met him prior to this, um, and the, the victim's friend is saying, oh, you know, there was always something wrong with him. I just, you know, Uh bad guy. Um, and then they kind of push it a little harder and say like, oh, but you, you hung out with him like with your friend, like, what was that like? And then. The victim's friend says, oh, well, looking back on it, like, I didn't have a problem with him. He was just, like, a normal guy. Yeah. So, like, that kind of stuff can absolutely overshadow your memories, particularly because the mechanism of memory is so fragile and so dependent on the process of remembering previously. So every time you remember a memory, you're really remembering the process of remembering it from previously. So you're, in a sense, rewriting it. Welcome to our pop psychology podcast. No, I mean, like, yeah, this is all this is all relevant and interesting to this discussion. I just think, though, that, like, yeah, chalk it up, call it a production error if you want, but I would be more inclined to just think that the writers in plotting out one episode made a decision, and then Mark Frost sits down to pen episode eight. He, he uses some of the same lines, but adds, and it's just, like, artistic license, whatever. Like, retcons happen, and one thing that i think is sometimes detrimental to at least the enjoyment of a thing uh if not like the analysis is taking a retcon too seriously um especially one that's like i guess like yeah it it does mean a lot that the the tone changes like the tone changing means more to me than the like lines not being there or something yeah and, like, no and like that like if it had just been like here is this tape or like this right. audio that we've already made and we're just gonna like cut some stuff out and yeah. we'll like intersperse it with some other stuff so you don't really that conscious decision see. but like to have the have Cheryl Lee like re-record that with like this lighter tone yeah that conscious decision to to do all that like is more concerning to me than the fact that they like added or subtracted lines like they also like directed it differently and again that could just be oversight uh like whoops mistake like we didn't really intend that but then like one day it was just someone's whim was different and they would have rather had checked but that's totally different from like when marvel tries to retcon characters into having a different origin (laughs) because they want comics to reflect movies and stuff like and then but then people like like that's clearly a telegraphed like reason why they're doing that but then people will be like but that changes everything in terms of the thing it's like well you know what you're already like probably ignoring a lot of things to enjoy comics uh but you should really just like roll with the punches when it's like clearly an external force and i think this as weird as it is 
like I would just roll with the punch. Like Twin Peaks is a show where the production constraints and things like are actually like pretty much on display all around. Um, I would say it's not like a poorly like or like under budget show, but you can tell, especially in season two, where production gets in the way of things. Um, and I hear what you're saying and like, I, yeah, like mm. shit like this happens, but this is also like how the artifact like is constructed. And I'm not talking about the tape, like the show mm-hmm. itself yes. is constructed and like, it is just part of like the interpretive process to try to reconcile these two things. Like, what do you think it means in these scenes that these tapes are different? Because I feel like this is really kind of like. I just lost the word I was thinking of, but it's kind of coddling like Donna and Maddie and James to have this version of the tape. Had they had the one where she was like distressed and talking to Dr. Jacoby about how she kind of wished she had gotten help sooner, like that, I think to them, it's a very different picture of like where she was at right before she died. Yeah, that is really interesting. I just don't want to then have to like and i would love to like think on that like essay on that but i would not ever want to put myself in the shoes of someone who's going to jump through hoops to explain in the context of the show why that happened like you know like a physical yeah, no, i mean we sense. can like yeah. say like it's a production error and oh, still like do mm. some like interpretive work on it yeah which is well, like a lot of like the interpretive process for like any piece of media or art I feel, well, if if it's of like a sufficiently high quality, there's a lot of stuff I would say out there con- that revolves around these kind of quirks and things in that are clearly like artifacts of production, that then just get hung up on reconciling that for this for the sake of enjoyment when the answer to in- just enjoying it is to enjoy it. Yeah, but enjoying um, and interpreting can be two different things. I'm I'm saying there is what you're saying like would be like worthwhile interpretive work things being pitched as such i'm saying this is a fan of lost (laughs) that aren't that are just people using highfalutin language and and critical terms to ultimately just like sew up their plot hole such that they feel good about it and and i think you're not saying that in the case of this tape i'm saying i think you're saying it's interesting that it's presenting these two different views and we can just like chalk it up to whatever in your work you wouldn't be trying to say like but could it be because the tape passed through a the dream room at one point okay if i was if i was like actually writing an essay that i was going to submit to like some kind of like publication or like professor or whatever i would have to account for that in some way because the existence of both like you feel like that's necessary yeah I mean, I would, like, ideally want to, if I didn't come to something satisfactory, I could gloss over it. But, like, ultimately, like, the mechanism could be important to the thesis of that interpretation. Would you... Okay, tell me this. Would you... First first thing you would... Well, wait, wait, wait. Let me clarify also there is another way to go about it, which is talking about, like, the meta construction of the show, which would be more able to mm-hmm. incorporate production error as like a part of interpretation versus like really getting into um yeah just looking at plot yeah. i was gonna say that is like 
one obvious route to go where you're just saying like these things change and then the change you know you kind of like take this this you know time sensitive approach to saying how these things evolve within the context of the show recognizing all that or could you go for some kind of like not I, i'm reaching for like unreliable narrator here but something wherein when we're in a scene with dr jacoby in private and he's listening to the tape what we're getting is like like the presentation as such being this is the world in this like private sphere in this one sense and then the world being shown like like this is like it's like getting close to the meta stuff without actually acknowledging like the production mm -hmm. of the show but trying to just say like what if what we're getting in all these in because twin peaks is a show that changes its tone so quickly from scene to scene whereas like mm -hmm. you just have a comic scene with you know andy and lucy in one sense but then the next scene is dark twisted fucked up whatever um that itself is very important and you could play some kind of interpretive game and I, i'm not using game like I'm not trying to use game in a derogatory sense being like interpretation oh, no, no. is all yeah, just yeah, like, no, no. but I know you could, you can try and construct this thing whereby you say like Twin Peaks, the show that is intentionally by virtue of having these characters as anchors playing with the information it presents in genre very consciously mm -hmm. to the point where, and then you point to this tape as evidence where even like what is presented verbally is not stable, is not, like immutable it's in flux yeah yeah i absolutely think that that works because here's a, another oh sorry on a genre level and that's really interesting and that also reminds me of you just got me excited sorry okay can i finish this thought mm -hmm. yeah okay uh, but it also works on a like psychoanalytic interpretive level uh i don't know if you know the affair on showtime it won like best uh drama series at the emmys this year um but the point being, and this is sort of like a gimmick in this show is that it's these scenes that are shown from two points of view so when these two characters meet it's about an mm. affair um when it's from the man's point of view you know they meet and she's wearing a short skirt and her hair is down and then when it's shown from the woman's point of view you know she's wearing a very drab outfit he's being a creep mm. um so playing with i could see those scenes in twin peaks being um being able to interpret them in a similar way um the other thing that i thought thought of was like if i had to like write an essay i would absolutely do my best to stretch this into a parallel example of this tape thing mm -hmm. is the minor bird when the minor bird is recorded uh, when we like see its last moments essentially mm -hmm. right and and go back and tear this apart you know listener if you want to but we see its last moments and it goes like Laura Laura and then boom we see the shot now you can say implied in between that more time passes where the minor bird says more that we then later hear on the tape mm -hmm. but normal conventions of like how you shoot those kind of scenes and the way it's presented i feel like heavily imply that we're just seeing its final moments mm -hmm. laura laura boom leo shoots the bird it's dead but they go back to the tape but suddenly there are more characters in the room um, well because they've been recording the bird all day right they had been recording the bird all day but we not only do we go through scrub through and we have like the comic moments 
uh, like now like tragicomic moments of like Lucy and Andy talking about the bird. But then we get the Laura Laura and then there's more stuff that no, the bird yeah, says yeah. before it gets shot that like given the presentation yeah. of the scene doesn't seem like it fits in. Yeah, no, I see what you're saying and that's interesting that that's happening with the recording devices. I do think that like um, there it's is a all little... Diane. It's all Diane. Uh... <laughs> that no, see, this is where you just like then you like cut it like because if you try to like the sudden say like recording devices don't work in Twin Peaks. Like, I know as a That's, theme, it's interesting. I'm... But then if we try to like actually explain what's happening, like in the world, it starts to get like. That's just like me talking from a place of having listened to like the X Files files for like two hours today. <laughs> um, but this actually gets at a question that I wanted to pose for this uh, podcast. This is like piggybacking on a lot of other stuff we've been talking about. Um, how do we treat and how do we interpret the characters of Twin Peaks? Do you know what I'm asking? No. Okay. So, um... I, like, that's a broad question? Right. So, what I'm, like, specifically getting at is, like, there are, like... There is a spectrum of interpretive modes and you've kind of got the one formalist end where you're really talking about style and um, aesthetics and like artistic choices and you're not really doing psychoanalysis in mm -hmm. any sense or like talking about motivation or anything like that or characterization. Um, and then that's obviously the other end of the spectrum. Um, and I think that we've mostly been talking about style, aesthetic choices, um, but listening to the X-Files files, which I do, I do when I walk to and from work, uh, so I've been listening to a lot of that, um, it's, like, pretty compelling, um, and I don't think that, like, the shows are comparable in that sense, like, mm -hmm. they're doing different things with characters, which is, I think, why um, we haven't been talking about them in the same way, but we did kind of get into that with Dale Cooper. Yeah. Um... And I do think people, viewers generally kind of get the urge to do that with Laura because like there is this sort of like there's dangling a... carrot of like the mystery of Laura and there's well, also there's a, a she was seeing a doctor yeah talk therapy um so like that the existence of both like the show in the in universe there's this commitment to aesthetic we have people who make conscious dress choices and things we also have existing in universe the recognition of people's inner goings on and mental processes and how that const constructs their character um recognized so both are like i say have their kind of totems in the show that allow for interpretation and like you said we were talking about dale from this perspective but like h how do we interpret them like how did how was like the cultural discussion happening in the 90s like i have to point back to that like fashion spread <laughs> um and like who were the breakout stars versus like the fact that how much can you actually find outside of like you know people's like strange like undergrad graduate theses that eventually like trickled out about twin peaks that is taking like different interpretive modes like actually putting that to paper or as we might want to do like turning our brains towards putting it on the podcast i don't know my question to you is how do you want to interpret them 
this is this is dramatic beat number one of our podcast for this season finale is do you feel like we've been focusing too much in a certain way do you want me to start doing more legwork or do you personally want to start doing more legwork in terms of approaching these characters differently um, as we talk about them because i can do drape runner corner which is <laughs> kind of bleak this week yeah or, oh god that's gonna be dark or i can try to like be serious and take it on in a serious light well but i think to a certain extent like and yeah talk about nadine's like inner thought processes that have led her on the journey we've seen thus far right rather than just make a joke out of it or talk about how cool her eye patch is like yeah we can we can well okay and like i get what you're saying that like we can interpret it however we want to and that's kind of like the magic of like postmodern literary interpretation but there's also like a way that like the show is like um like moving you to interpret it do you get what i'm saying the yeah, way it's yeah, yeah. setting no, up no, its no. own interpretive processes i'm not saying i wasn't one i would never be like for the i would never go as far as like to consciously supply like postmodern we can interpret it however we want it no i'm saying i think the show actually like kind of does highlight these two different branches and i think that it moves maybe between them like for instance nadine and ed is played in the first like five six episodes very comic and like the story is solved ed wants out of this relationship nadine is like obsessed with this weird thing and obsessed with ed in this weird way and it's like kind of played for laughs and then last episode ed shows more care for nadine Mm -hmm. nadine makes an attempt on her own life this episode Mm -hmm. uh in a very dramatic like not characteristic and not like funny way which is the mode that she's existed in primarily mm-hmm. i feel like the show consciously says like nope it's time for you to start taking this like not at this like you know not in this way mm-hmm. um but in not in this like you know concerned with like the wacky characters of twin peaks and here's the slice of life of ed and nadine way but it's like these are also real people like if you've been giving anybody in this show credit for being close to real people like we're gonna inject some of this in there in this where you didn't expect it um does that make sense like i i see what you're saying but like the show plays with how it wants you to interpret characters at different times um i see what you're saying i for me i feel like the show really skews aesthetic um and it skews kind of um oh what's the word um uh pastiche it skews Mm -hmm. kind of pastiche Um, and I think that, like, one thing that I have been kind of thinking about and interested in is, like, do the characters have a life off screen? Like, between scenes, like, do you get the sense that they're doing something that's, like, not a part of the plot line? Because that's kind of, like, a good marker for, like, three-dimensional characterization and, like, a good sense of, like, an inner life of a character. The one character who I think exactly, precisely does not exhibit a life off screen and you're gonna either agree with me or not very strongly cooper yeah i think cooper exists when we have eyes on cooper and otherwise does not mm-hmm. um i think that's very spot on but as but for the uh, like 
like I don't think it's the characters that people necessarily latch onto. Like you might want to say the same. Like you might be inclined to say the same thing about Audrey, but I think we see Shelley between having shot Leo and this episode. Um, like it's not like she ends one scene in one emotional state and is still there the next. Like she has taken time to like regroup and recover in a little bit, such that then she is shocked when Leo comes back. Mm-hmm. Like, not just still in this state of, like, I'm terrified mm-hmm. of what I did. But like, I guess what I'm kind of thinking about in a certain sense is not just that, but it also feels like all of these characters to the audience have their cards on the table. There's nothing simmering under the surface that's kind of peaking. Um, like, I think a salient example from the X-Files is Mulder's, like, porn addiction thing going on like that's very rarely explicitly commented on but it's just this like low level piece of character development that Mm -hmm. like is a constant and like you can imagine you can imagine when he's not doing the x-files he's like watching porn and like sleeping on his couch and like that says a huge amount about his character and like Mm -hmm. what he's doing when you're not watching him yeah whereas all of the characters in twin peaks have these secrets that the audience knows about and in their off time you just assume that they're like following up on these plans that you as an audience member know about here's the thing we've yet to still get to one of the most like cringe-worthy scenes of the whole show. Do you know what I'm talking about? I don't. It's musical in nature. What? James? Yes! Okay, I think sometimes when we get some of this, what is, like, otherwise less consequential stuff thrown in, but that is to round out characters... Sometimes I think maybe the show doesn't even do it well, but it's like, do we ever see where Truman lives? Like, do we ever see Harry's apartment? No. Like, a lot of these characters are defined, like, pretty much, like, first or second on the list of their traits is what their profession is. Mm -hmm. Um, That's not, like, yeah, Mulder's an FBI agent, but obviously he's so much more. Not even just by his, like, belief in in the extraterrestrials. Like, yeah, porn vhs in the fridge or whatever but like um and and also i i'm still early on in the x-files but i love that mull uh not (laughs) scully's family has the uh like weird fixation with moby dick uh and starbuck and queequeg and all that anyway oh my god i love queequeg uh so yeah we don't so much get that stuff and you think that that's well i think okay would you describe the show as character driven is there only one way to have a character driven show that's that's a gotcha question that's a gotcha question where it's just like where we're at where i can be like there's not (laughs) breaking bad is like really character driven and Mm -hmm. you have these like quiet moments with characters where like you see that um Jesse mm-hmm. almost called him Todd because um, that's Aaron Paul's character's name in Bojack Horseman. Anyway, okay, um, you see that like, unrelated. <laughs> well, like you have these like quiet moments with Jesse where you like really see like how he's like dealing with like his drug addiction and like mm-hmm. his guilt and stuff. Um, and so great that's... Exa- great example when he goes home and his brother is found with the skunk weed and he covers. Yeah, that moment in the grand scheme of the story of Breaking Bad 
means nothing, but it means so much to who Jesse is. Yeah, that exactly. When we just talk about that, that's one of the things that rises immediately to mind, and there's like a billion others. Does any character in Twin Peaks have that? No. A lot of Because the... it's, it's like, um, I don't, it's not, it's plot driven to a certain right? extent. But can you think about, so let's bring up Lost again, a show that owes a lot to Twin Peaks in terms of being a show that is trying to uh, be primarily driven by a central mystery, mm-hmm. at least in terms of how it's pitched and how it grabs some portion of the audience's attention. Mm-hmm. But this is also a show that reveled in having flashback moments that like sometimes would increase the mystery mm-hmm. and be like evidence for like, how are they all brought together if they had these connections before? But a lot of those pieces were pretty much just character like Mm -hmm. a lot of that stuff and even like on the island lots of episodes that meant jack shit for the central (laughs) mystery and then the show ultimately you know spoilers skews towards not being so much concerned with its mystery so much as the the kind of like vibe and feeling that imparts and the lives of its characters and and the experience that they went through Mm -hmm. which is ultimately dissatisfying right i think twin peaks comes at it from a different angle where actually what matters to it Mm -hmm. is that it has a central mystery and characters that pop around that but it is not trying to bait you in with the mystery Mm -hmm. and then get you to care about these characters that it never spent the time to develop i think it consciously developed characters to a different level is what i would say yeah. It wasn't like, I want to be a character-driven show and then not know what it wants. And I think the other important part is that um, a lot of the, like, driving plot factors are actually external. Mm-hmm. Laura, like, her death is external to all of these characters at this point, as well as the darkness in the woods. Um, and you know what parallel I want to draw here? What? Pretty Little Liars. Don't know that much about Pretty Little Liars. Other than I remember in in one uh, form I frequent, people were in the call out for the discussion thread, like the headline where it was saying like, it's like Twin Peaks. Um, <laughs> it's actually, um, it's really interesting because like pacing wise, they feel very similar because you spend a lot of time with these characters and they're not really, um, as much as it's about like secrets, you don't get a lot of interiority. Um the secrets are, like, driving people to act rather than to reflect, if that makes sense. Yeah. There's also um, an FBI agent named Agent Cooper. <laughs> um, and I was multitasking, so I was had Pretty Little Liars on while I was doing something else. Um, and I heard them say Agent Cooper, and I suddenly was like, I thought I had Pretty Little Liars on. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then there was this great line where the FBI agent is leaving town, um, and Agent Cooper is played by a black actress in Pretty Little Liars, and she says, I really love the food in this town. I'm going to miss this place. I think one thing <laughs> this came to mind, if we're trying to th- figure out this kind of interiority and like side traits that we can then apply to characters, something we've talked about is that food occupies a weird role in this show. Yeah. But it's not necessarily an overstated role. People who are fans of the show might like latch onto the pie and coffee thing a lot. And we have some pie here that we will sample later. But it's also like, I think of the great Ben and Jerry, the 
ice cream, but their great moment with the brie and butter baguettes where like that also like in the dialogue prompts them to like associate it with a memory from childhood and like the way in which they attack that food and the context where it is just like this, this slow family dinner that's interrupted. Like that's a moment, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't want to throw those in all over the place. It wants to be pacey and kind of, you know, try and and even if it's not intending to answer questions dig away at the secrets of the town and of the Mm -hmm. characters more than it is just telling you like and here's lucy grocery shopping like and then a thing happens um which would be amazing to see like that's a weird thing is that like i think I, i think you're bringing up something that i've never thought about and it's making me feel like this sense of unease because i'm just like i do know these characters so well but you're right i don't but also i'm excited by the prospect of like what if we learned more yeah um well and like it would be a different show and this is obviously something that's coming out of um the the leaning into like the soap opera genre Mm -hmm. um and i think like what is so interesting about like the way that these characters are constructed and the way that straddles that like two to one dimension dimensionality thing is like you do know these intimate things about the characters and that makes you really feel like you know them um but you know just like very limited things about them yeah and they're plot relevant things yeah let's talk about the episode (laughs) glad we got that out of the way (laughs) it's another god also, and it's a, I'll say it again, it's another thing that if we revisit this conversation in like 10 episodes time, you might be like, everything's gone to shit. And now we can't have, <laughs> we can't have it either way or any way. And I want to just like be upset with this show. <laughs> and it might be, it might be Mark Frost's doing as well. Um, That's true. Can we talk about rather than the... And again, I don't mean this in a dismissive sense, but the kind of airy, up in the clouds, what do we think of the sum of these characters as they're presented over the course of what we've watched so far and and, and how that's being constructed? Can we talk about the very overt framing of Hank in this episode with the fucking antlers on that mounted deer looking like they're coming out of his head in the framing of the shot where yes Josie is like also shorter uh than Hank but it's intentionally framed from like below so that it's like he is towering over her with these like horns coming out of his head Mark Frost great shot (laughs) Mark Frost in a nutshell is that um is that kind of vibe. Also, and then, like, the, the whole blood thumb, oh, blood brothers God, thing. Oh, yeah. Like, again, uh. I think if we want to talk about how characters are rendered, again, up in the clouds, all things considered, though, mm-hmm. Hank doesn't get a lot of any, like, bandwidth in terms of being anything but blunt with his characterization. Yep. Well, yep. same goes for Leo. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Leo's... Which is... The, We've talked about this before, like, the character development across genders, but we'll mm-hmm. talk about that. Uh, it's, it's the, I, I love that shot, but also it's just, like, I love it because it is, like, it's like a shower idea. It's like a shower idea had for how to make character look bad. <laughs> how to clearly communicate, because you can show a screenshot of that 
and I actually took it as a screenshot for this week's episode preemptively nice. <laughs> uh, to anybody without any context and then be like, that's a bad man, right? <laughs> that man is not okay. Um, sometimes the, sh- yeah, sometimes the show with characters like Leo and Hank definitely doesn't even want to play the game of yeah. doing that kind of work in the writing and, and, I won't say in the acting, but in the writing and the plotting and, and the things going into what we then take in as that character as a sum whole and trying to be like, this character's around. It's like, nah, Hank's the guy who uh, does all the bad shit, supposedly killed Andrew Packard, and then also <laughs> killed a homeless person to stage manslaughter to have an alibi. Like... That's how bad they're trying to make him look. Is like, not only did he kill someone for money, and then is like being threatening to the person who contracted him, but his solution to an alibi was to kill yet another person and go to prison. Like, you cannot, like, I'm, I'm a broken record now, but you can't possibly make someone seem more evil than that without getting just straight up comical. But I do appreciate... <laughs> the gender reversal of lack of character development. Like, I know I, like, literally oh. just said that, but what I mean is, like, in another show, like, Hank and Leo would have all of these motivations, there would be all of these justifications for what they were doing. And then you have a Heisenberg effect. Yeah, yeah. well, and then, you know, Shelley would be two-dimensional. Shelley would mm-hmm. be a Skylar, uh, like a two-dimensional nagging Skylar. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, not saying Heisenberg effect to say, like, Breaking Bad doesn't give space to to characters of this gender, like like no. Oh no no yeah yeah. Um, but just to say like the fucking people who think that he's the the hero, and it's like oh my god, can you shut up and never wear that t shirt again? <laughs> um, um, so we haven't talked about Audrey in this episode yet. We haven't we haven't talked about a lot of things in this episode. I know. And the, the podcast has gone long. But let's talk about Audrey. It's very important that we do... Another look. Mm-hmm. And... Oh, wait, are we gonna, are we gonna call the, the one-eyed Jack's outfit a look? Because... I'm calling it a look. I... I... I don't know if we talked about this when we first encountered... We really... Yeah, we did. Uh, I, last I, year. Ugh. Yeah, you were like, what do you think of that outfit? And I, like, didn't understand what you meant. And I was like, yeah, it's like, I'm into it. <laughs> anyway, all the One-Eyed Jack's outfits, uh, I don't see, like, how that's supposed to be sexy. <laughs> I don't know. Um, they all look vaguely like Raggedy Ann dolls or something. Yeah, it's really like, campy, but she looks really, like, ethereal. Yeah, she she makes it out better with the like heavier emphasis on whites and lace and that kind of thing yeah. than the than the card card deck cocktail dresses. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, so the card that Audrey picks for I don't there's some important component of it. It like gets sewed onto her outfit, but like but... they're all they're all don't all the girls just like aren't they all identified just by their their card and suite? May- 
Isn't probably that, but also thing? like then why why does the deck that blackie have like why is that a full deck because you'd think that you would just take out the cards that have because, already been chosen because if audrey picks one that's already been chosen she just gets killed right on the spot there that's we go. what's unspoken because <laughs> <laughs> it's just like oh you could try the cherry but actually this is the final test and you <laughs> failed and we can't we can't have you blabbing about our uh brothel so bye um Sorry, I'm tired. Um, maybe we should have gotten coffee for the food. Want, want. Well, we shouldn't have waited so late to record this. Hey, anyway. This is the scene... This is, well... This is setting up for the scene you were talking about in terms of Audrey's vulnerability, right? That is, yes. yes. Um, but what I wanted to make note of was her choice of the Queen of Diamonds for the card. Oh, right. For so, um, I mean the obvious thing and i feel like every time i watch the scene i think this is what they're gonna do is like she's gonna pick the queen of hearts because she's like the cutest girl and she's like a heart do you get what i'm saying yeah yeah yeah. um like that's the obvious choice and i think the queen of diamonds is like much more interesting i mean there's the obvious like marilyn monroe parallels diamonds are girl's best friend anyway um but it she's not she doesn't wear her heart on her sleeve to borrow that cliche like She's a very inaccessible character. Yeah. The the choice of the diamond? Just hold on to that. Hold okay. on to that symbol in your brain. Okay. You specifically. I, yeah. Not the listener, you. Yeah. Okay. I get... And we'll see if I even remember what I mean right now <laughs> when it becomes relevant <laughs> again. Okay. But I think you can make an argument later on down the road of that having... Um, in-universe implications. Um, Do you know what the other thing about that card is, though? What? So, people were noting this on the Usenet boards. So, The Manchurian Candidate, which is a movie that has Denzel Mm -hmm. Washington in it, and a movie before that that didn't have Denzel Washington in it. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I think, like, Frank Sinatra was in it. But anyway, um, so in that movie, which is, like, archived in the Library of Congress, all this stuff, um... The whole premise is um, parodied in Zoolander, which is how some people yes. might be familiar with it. Um, this guy is like trained to be an assassin yes. and just, he sees the card. Let's assume that people know the <laughs> Manchurian Candidate. I didn't before today. Well, we gotta save some time on this long podcast. Okay, anyway, so the point is when he sees the card and the mm-hmm. card is specifically the Queen of Diamonds, then he's like activated into yeah. assassin mode. Um, so that's also an interesting... What do we call that? Is that paratextual? Intertextual. Intertextual, sorry. Yeah, that's what I meant. Yep. Uh, Yeah, Audrey... God, I mean... There's something about... This is another... Another, like, the cliffhanger drama moments where Van Horn is coming into the room to Mm -hmm. see the new girl. And I'm just like... I mean, at a certain point, her luck has, in a way, run out. Her tenaciousness in terms of mm-hmm. digging up dirt on what she knows is her father's operation and that what she suspects has some connection to Laura's death. Um, at a certain point, moved things a little too fast mm-hmm. and didn't stop to consider that her father is the owner of the place it would not be unreasonable, I think, to expect that this kind of thing is exactly the worst liability that could happen. Yeah. Uh, 
but also like it's a weird like obviously you panic in this moment you're trying to find a way out of it mm-hmm. and whatever but it also is those kind of the the choice to go after this is like the dramatic situation is kind of weird because i don't think thus far the implication has been that this would like be a life-threatening situation for audrey right for instance like the stakes of like are i think to me unclear like if she is discovered then what and that uncertainty is certainly something that can be panic and fear inducing and so forth but it's also just like as a as a viewer i'm just like this is awful but then it seems like the only way it can be resolved like the only way that the show is going to take this is that she finds a way out of it like that's like i think telegraph from the moment they set up the scene because it's just like what does happen like you're my daughter yeah that's the like that's the discovery and then what from there like the worst grounding of all time like i don't no, it's it, Ben isn't yet painted as someone who would murder his own daughter, for instance. So it's not like mm-hmm. a life-threatening thing being said. I don't know. I don't know if I'm just rambling at this point, but I feel like there's something off about this as like a setup for tension. Yeah, I get what you're saying. The stakes are pretty unclear. But it's also like kind of like humiliating there's like a shame aspect to it i think um that i think can be like pretty highly motivating we'll talk we'll talk more i think we should focus more on this in whole next week i guess yeah um so we've talked about andy firing the gun we've talked about nadine we've talked about hank and josie um I want to really quickly just highlight a great moment when Pete and Catherine are talking. Oh, and my Catherine's God. manipulating Pete, which is like, gotta feel for Pete. But just the dudes trying to eavesdrop, like the whole. <laughs> it's another. Okay, well, this is like A plus thumbs up. I love it, Mark Frost. The mm-hmm. dudes just trying to hear their conversation and look into the room that that's the throughout the entire scene just going facing around this great room with the windows all around oh yeah i love that moment so much and i love it whenever i like it sneaks up on me every time i watch it and i'm just like oh wait it's this scene i love this scene <laughs> i was forget about this scene anyway there's also a great moment when they're talking and he's just like leaning into like pete is leaning into this taxidermy bear <laughs> Yeah. He's just, like, in the embrace of the bear. Pete is still my, one of my faves. Um, and Pete, so, Millfire. Well, I was also going to say, like, the Catherine-Pete story is, like, kind of interesting. The Catherine... It's not, like, overly interesting, but it, like, explains a lot. Yeah. Well, it, it puts it in much clearer terms where their relationship stands. Yeah. Um, because there, it's it's... Catherine has been thrust into this situation where she knows her life is being threatened and approaches Pete and feigns this connection and then the great hug with her like exasperated face. Mm -hmm. But for all that she still does not care Mm -hmm. for Pete knows like trust Pete well enough to come to him with this information. Like, 
she is maybe bullshitting about her feelings, but she's kind of not hiding that she's in some deep shit and suspects that, that, you know, something bad is heading her way. Um, and Pete's devotion is like, you know, I guess I won't get mink oil on my bed. Like, no, he still loves Catherine. Yeah. Um, that is made abundantly clear. Which, yeah. Uh, cause he runs into when, oh my God, so sh- the whole mill thing, the thing that this, that this season builds up to ultimately. Yeah. Uh, Shelly's put in Shelley. there by Leo. Leo is apparently at least a skilled enough arsonist to make that timer bomb uh, <laughs> and is planning to also try and get Bobby like into the mill to burn to death or just shoot just, or no just just kill Bobby I guess just everyone's supposed to be in the mill to die um yeah <laughs> Catherine's there Pete runs in um it's a clusterfuck at the mill yeah well and I think it's like kind of a redeeming moment for Catherine when she sh- yes. saves Shelly because she could have left deal. her mm-hmm. and then she could have just untied her and been like you're on your own but she grabs shelly and pulls her out of there and is thinking about how to get both of them out of the burning mill yeah. um and she doesn't know who shelly is is the other thing mm-hmm. she's not like oh yeah i see you around yeah or anything like that Catherine doesn't seem like the type to stop in the double r much no <laughs> um yeah I doubt she, does she even like pie or coffee? Doubt it. Oh, she totally loves coffee. You know it. Um, probably not, because Pete loves coffee. And also, if you live with Pete, there's a good chance that a fish will end <laughs> up in the percolator. Uh, You're right. So you might get turned off of coffee. You're right. Um, and then there's that um, complicated web of double crossing. So the yeah. notes that I have from watching this two days ago are... Bobby and Mike, so they're taking orders from Leo. Leo's taking orders from Jacques. And then there's maybe someone above that, and Cooper's kind of pretending to be that person mm-hmm. uh, at One-Eyed Jacks. But then Leo is also taking orders from Hank. Mm-hmm. He's taking orders from Ben. Yep. So there's just, like, every every bad thing in That's, Twin like, Peaks. not even the half of it, though, and, like... Hank is contracted to Josie oh, yeah, in a way. He's contracted to Ben, but is at the same and like yeah. Uh, Catherine's in there. It's a it is a mess. Yeah. It is a mess. And it's weird. So uh, a mutual acquaintance of ours, who I talked to about the show quite recently, who we're hoping to have actually maybe come on for a segment of the podcast at one point, or maybe in a whole episode or something. Um, you know who I'm talking about, yeah. but I just don't want to, like... Yeah, yeah, If this doesn't work out. Uh, but he brought up to me... He's, I think he, all he had to say to get, like, send my head spinning because it's just, like, another way you can... Another perspective from which you can just approach the show in terms of analyzing it is look at the show as having a particularly ecological statement or, like, an environmental statement with the fact that actually for all that's going on with Laura, um, a lot of that is immediately adjacent to the question of what is going to happen to this mill in a town that seems quite heavily supported by logging. Yeah. With the encroaching investment of big money from outside of America. Specific, and, you know, specifically from, like, the Norwegians and the Germans. Yeah, yeah. Um, like, 
what's going on there if you realize if you take a step back and you not realize but you decide to conceptualize that as being the central focus of season one which you can make a very good argument for yeah no that makes a lot of sense i mean that kind of also gets at the like americana themes the kind of small towny vibes um and, and the the darkness in the woods like what the town lives with takes on a different sense when you are just like if you want to consider like this town is right now a prime spot for like takeover from outside forces yeah exactly. um in a in a very literal sense where yeah they want to build a country club uh where the jobs were like, yeah uh there's class wrapped up in it uh mm -hmm. xenophobia like there's a lot going on there that we should maybe leave for for future episodes yeah i think um that'll be around speaking of double crosses uh so leo goes to get bobby mm -hmm. and bobby i think quite admirably but very obviously ineffectually tries to weasel his way out of it but he's like oh leo i was just looking for you like, <laughs> he probably should have just run like i yeah, want bobby yeah. to be smart enough to just run uh but i just uh and this is like maybe one of the most um like like the the initial pan uh over jacoby's office i really like the the lingering of when leo is shot on the television turned silent to yes. invitation to love yes um again mark frost but also very nice enjoyed it a lot <laughs> that moment um yeah we should also leave time in the future to like actually we should go like how, how familiar are you with the simpsons no you, i've see seen this, that okay. one episode you'll see you'll see where i'm going with this quite shortly have you are you familiar with the character mcbain no. <laughs> McBain is their like Schwarzenegger stand-in okay. um, and throughout a couple seasons there are episodes that start with them watching a McBain movie okay. um, in the show but then actually those clips like have an ordering to them yeah, and then like kind of like there are selected scenes from this one McBain movie mm -hmm. um, and it's like kind of like I mean it's take off on a bunch of different movies but kind of like die hard right um uh i want to do that with the clips from invitation to love where it's like wait can we That's actually right. like <laughs> trace what's going on here like do we see a dramatic progression that we can more closely map to the events of twin peaks between these characters or is it just like the obvious parallels and then it's just like Someone gets shot when Leo gets shot. And it's like the bad, guy, the, the bad guy in the leather jacket gets shot when Leo gets shot. Like, is there, is it doing a little bit more legwork than just having the characters who are obvious analogs and then having similar things happen to them? Yeah. Is there like a sequence of events also that I is bet more that's concrete? on the internet already. And I want to say that there's another show that did that same thing, the thing that you were just talking about with mm -hmm. The Simpsons. And I can't remember what it is. Uh-oh. You shouldn't have even admitted that because normally you're the TV expert. You I shouldn't know. ever say that you don't... <laughs> that you think there's something about TV that you don't know. I'll go find it out later tonight. Anyway. Um, and Leo... I mean, Leo's fate is uncertain. Yes. But... We did the... We, he was shot earlier this season. So it's in doubly a, uncertain. In a cliffhanger, so... Um, but someone's is not 
uh, Leland Hospital <laughs> uh, pulls a one flew over the cuckoo's nest on Jacques Renault. Yeah. Goodbye, Jacques Renault. Um, and something that people were talking about on the Usenet boards is like, how did Leland know what he knew in order to do that? Because he just shows up at the police station and is like, is it true you have a suspect? Who told him that? Mm-hmm. Who is this leak in the police department that's telling him these things? Um, and then Doc Hayward is the one who's like, you know, he's at the hospital or whatever. Presumably, there are more people than that in the hospital. Leland just goes on a on a smothering spree is what we don't <laughs> see. Just everyone um, who's bedridden when that fire alarm goes off is just dead. Yeah. Um, so it's a question like how he knew who to find. Kind of. I have to, like I would just like I don't know a lot about when criminals are checked into hospitals, but I assume there's maybe like a paper trail or like obvious signs he could have followed, and I don't. Maybe there was a strange uh, tape recorder left in the <laughs> in the lobby <laughs> that said something. No. Um, yeah. Goodbye, Jacques. Is, have we covered the? Have we covered all the poppy? So Audrey's I in mean, danger. The mill's on one fire. Big thing. Oh right, uh, concerning the star of the show. <laughs> that I. Yeah, so Leah's not the only one who gets shot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What do we want to say about that? Cooper gets um, shot. It is. Yeah. Uh, well, I do know what I want to say about R. this. R.I.P. 24-hour room service must be one of the premier achievements of modern civilization. <laughs> Another great line. Um, that, yeah, well, I mean, that's like, for all the other stuff, though, like, that's a conventional cliffhanger. Yeah. Like, maybe it wasn't done much before this. I don't know how common of a trope it was, where it's just like, uh, season cliffhanger is one of the main characters going to survive having just been shot. But the yeah, mill people, fire is, like, well... infinitely more interesting as a is a cliffhanger type setup and also then i guess like i would say audrey's situation because it's so the stakes are uncertain it's so unconventional it's so unusual that's also like more like oh shit right in a way than just like okay well he got shot i wonder what's gonna happen to well so um People on the Usenet boards are uh, comparing this to Dallas. Okay. Who shot JR. Um, and people on the Usenet boards are actually, like, kind of upset about this episode and not into it. Um, but let me... Someone compiled a list of all of the cliffhangers. Let me just read them to you. Okay. Who shot Cooper? What was in Audrey's note? What'll happen when Ben sees the new girl? Will Nadine survive? Will Jacoby survive? Will James land in jail? Is Andy the father? Did Leo die? Did Montana die? Will Pete survive? Will Catherine survive? Will Shelley survive? Will Bobby be caught? Will Cooper survive? Who killed Laura? Will Truman find out about Josie? Will Andy do right by Lucy? Is Josie head o- in over her head with Hank? Will Pete and Catherine reconcile? Will Leland be found out? Will Ronette wake up? Will Norma wise up to Hank? Will Cooper learn of Madeline's existence? Will Jacoby learn of Madeline's existence? Will Dr. Lidecker <laughs> wake learn, up? <laughs> learn of Madeline's existence? Will Dr. Lidecker wake up? Will Killer Bob reappear? Wow. 
So. But Montana, Montana made it in there. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Um. It's a lot. It's a lot. That's I think a pretty pretty full recap of what what's happening there. We should have just read that, and that was the whole podcast. Probably. No one's coming to us for our insightful analysis, right? No. No, everyone is. Everyone um, loves it. Um, so, do you want to hear a couple of choice quotes from the Usenet boards besides that? Uh, I do. Yes. Okay. Does anyone else feel that last night's show was the worst stinker of the series? Harsh. People are not into this episode. I mean, like, there are people who are into it, but there is, like, a disproportionate number of people saying, like, that this is not how they wanted the series finale to end. Um, particularly because uh, some people were saying that this is, like, the characters were, like, out of character, that this is, like, too conventional of, uh, that the cliffhangers are too conventional of plot devices. Um... I mean, this show's, like, rife with conventional plot devices. The whole thing is that it, like... I mean, I guess you they could be like, yeah, it is, but then, like, they didn't do these ones interestingly. It's like, okay, maybe... It's hard because, like, of course, when I watched the show, I was just like, oh, play the next episode. (laughs) Uh, Maybe I would have been, you know, kind of teed off because, like, I sit and stew with it, thinking, like, it's going to be a year before I see more Twin Peaks. Yeah. Just like like a lot of people were in mortal danger. Oh, God, yeah. Like, that's cheap. Um, But I feel like it's earned most of those. And also that I wouldn't actually be too concerned about a lot of those, like... (laughs) There could be losses of certain <laughs> characters who are currently in danger. And it's just like, you know, like, does Dr. Jacoby, for instance, have anything more to contribute to this? Like, Good maybe question. not. Good uh, question. Do, do I consider that the total cliffhanger then? Hmm. Mm. Not really. Do I want to know who assaulted him? Yes. Do I kind of, like... Also, like, are they just going to put the mill fire out? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, no. Like, there's there's certain things where it's just like, yes, this is a, a catalyst. This is a big moment. And then, the like, but I don't consider it to be, like, the quintessential payoff. It's like, or, or the quintessential cliffhanger in need of a payoff. Like, the mill's fate is decided. I'm mm-hmm. not worried. It's about the people in it. Um, Jacoby's fate, for instance, like, I don't really care about i couldn't can't assume that lucy and andy's plot thread won't be dropped um Mm -hmm. it will go on so uh you know there's there's things to be reasonably worried about and one of them i will say is not cooper like (laughs) cooper getting shot i would not look at and be like well bye kyle mclaughlin it was a nice (laughs) run like twin peaks is a lot of things and it does a lot of things that other shows even today will dare to tread but killing off the star is something that i think how many shows have done can you think of any it happens but it's it doesn't happen like this yeah like when when like a lead actor gets shot and it's like Mm. that actor is like the big draw for the series they're not gonna die you know that they're contracted for two more seasons Mm -hmm. you're gonna keep seeing them um, like that actually happens a lot with Shameless where people are like, ah, oh, Frank's finally gonna die. And it's like, 
the network loves capitalizing on William H. Macy. They're never going to take him off of the show. Yeah. Um, and why would they? He's a fine actor. He is. Um, Wish they would give him some better material. That's a different story. Um, so there are two theories that I'm going to share with you okay. from this week. The first is that um, Twin Peaks is actually a show that the people from Invitation to Love are watching. <laughs> um no reason to believe that just a thought i guess it's cute um i'll take that and then um here's a theory on what's gonna happen to cooper so pretty much everyone is assuming that cooper went into his sting operation at one-eyed jacks wearing a bulletproof vest Mm -hmm. so someone says let's just suppose that's not happening so cooper i'm reading the post now Cooper has been shot. He's not wearing his bulletproof vest. Shame on him. Dying, he's rushed to the hospital. While he lies in a coma, we dive into his unconscious subconscious once more, as he has one of those notorious near-death experiences. He drifts away from his body. He enters a long, dark tunnel. There's no light at the end, but several people are sitting in chairs awaiting their turns to go in. Nadine is there. Cooper talks to her. (laughs) She is going to greener pastures, after all. She does, however, have a twin cousin, a la Cooper's dream, who turns out to be Blackie. Oh my god. The Madam of One-Eyed Jacks. Uh... <laughs> Cooper doesn't get much out of this and moves on. Jacques gets out of his chair and says, they're calling for me, they're taking me away, I have nothing more to say to you, Agent Cooper. It's time so... to bite the bullet. <laughs> That's a better rewrite it's of that It's time scene. to bite the pillow. <laughs> okay. Um... Now things get interesting. He begins to have conversations with the other uh, patients interned at the hospital in the near-death world. He talks to Jacoby. He discovers Lyadecker. Leo gives him something to think about. From the clues they give him, um, from the clues they give him, he determines that neither Leo nor Jacoby killed Laura. Now comes the good part. Ron at Pulaski. She spills the beans. What beans? Why? Who killed Laura? Of course. Only maybe it wasn't Laura. Um, what? <laughs> behind the receptionist's desk is a woman who looks like Laura. As it turns out, it is her twin cousin, Madeline. Uh, wait, what? Yeah. Um, okay. Madeline spills the real beans. Cooper wakes up, and the murder of Madeline Ferguson is solved. Oh, okay, I see where it's going. In. Okay. Um, There's actually a really interesting episode of um, Six Feet Under that's a little like that. <laughs> I like that that theory just quickly devolves into fan fiction. I will give it credit for at least having the awareness about the show to assume that Cooper experiencing a traumatic event can be a catalyst for diving back into the dangling carrot of what the hell happened at the end of episode three and what Mm -hmm. was that and how are we meant to interpret that? Yeah. Um, the because that i think is ultimately where the show and this is not a spoiler to say moves on from here mm-hmm. is that it's and, and this is where it's like my my mind has been changed by that friend of ours dropping that comment where it's like yeah we've been talking about how the bookhouse boys are like kind of at the the like they like get forgotten about for a couple episodes and the whole thing about the darkness mm-hmm. in the the woods gets forgotten about um and the focus just shifts towards, you know, what's up with Jacoby? What's up with Leo? 
can we find the murderer? Mm -hmm. Um, but actually it's building towards this, this catastrophe at the mill Mm -hmm. and all the double crosses and just like the, like complicated. Yeah. It's all just like very pretty clear motivation, criminal stuff going on, like Mm -hmm. money in, you know, 10 different ways and murder in as many ways. Um, but from here, the show's focus is just like, wait, but actually all that stuff we set up, we have ideas. Yeah. We know where that's, you know, we know a direction we want to pull that in. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the end of season one. And I think it's interesting to maybe spend a little time thinking about like, you know, what if season one was it? Because before they they had confirmed a season mm-hmm. two and season two you know assuming like it, it could have just been this it could have it's twin peaks in an, in a, another timeline in the berenstein timeline <laughs> twin peaks could have just been this one season yeah and then there's no like room for uh the i i mean there's like room for cult appreciation stuff but a lot of what people latch onto is very thinly represented at that mm-hmm. point in the show. Yeah, the thing you get the like the 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 Black Lodge, it's iconic. You get it for just a sliver. Yeah. Well, and I think that like what I could see happening in that sense is I could see the uh, TV movie version gaining like some traction and some following but i think it would be very hard to like watch just these you know episodes from the first season and feel like invested or feel like a sense of payoff or Mm -hmm. you know i mean as much as i like the season like i would be mad if this was it yeah we can talk about when we finally reach the end of season two about you know what did happen and and how that experience itself can feel complete or incomplete. Yeah. Um, but at least by the end of the second season, I was just watching today, uh, it was posted on the, uh, like, what's it called? The official Twin Peaks... Uh, um, cast site. Cast site, yes. Uh, a clip of uh, David Lynch on David Letterman mm-hmm. at the time when... I mean, Lynch goes on Letterman, which is on CBS, not ABC, where Twin Peaks is showing at the time, mm-hmm. and says, uh, hey, please send your mail to Iger, the like head of programming or whatever at ABC, to tell him that you want to see this show. Yeah. Um, you know, he says, like, I think Wednesday at 10 would be a good time, and I don't mm-hmm. know quite the, like, I, I don't, Letterman wasn't on at 10, but, like, there, there was, like, chuckles about that. Mm-hmm in terms of the recommended time slot, but they were putting Twin Peaks on the weekend. And David Lynch says, I think the people who are into this show are party people and they don't want to be in. They're party people. He literally says they're party people. Go oh watch the clip. God. It's great. Uh, and I don't think, I don't think they want to be in the house on a Saturday. I think we would do much better on the weekday. And it's like, of course, like he doesn't want the death slot. Yeah. But they were making the show knowing full well at that point because it's a longer production run. They're doing 22 episodes. So the writing's on the wall in a sense while they're still producing the show. Yeah. Um, uh, So the season two can kind of be shaped accordingly. Mm -hmm. Um, And it makes for a different experience, I think. Um, 
especially that finale um which i still can't believe you have like i can't like that's the thing is that i can be like oh it's so you know whatever that you haven't seen this the back half of season two but you also haven't seen the finale i know what happens you know what happens i know know, but i haven't seen the effect of it all i know i know and we're gonna find out but that's like when we get there. months from now. I anyway. know, but it'll be a lot better on the podcast if we can. If we can what? I'm if not. I, I, if I can be fresh when this happens. Okay. It'll be a different date. Okay. Okay. Yeah, it's a good thing that you stopped working that job where episodes of Twin Peaks were like playing. <laughs> uh, yeah. Every week. It yeah. was running right up against what I had seen. Yeah. So just don't drop by there and yeah when they're running those episodes if you want to stay fresh which i appreciate and i thank you you're very committed to your your role on i am the soon well not soon like in a while to be new uh to certain aspects i can't wait for when we have to do the episode on all the footage that didn't make it into um sorry uh fire walk with me because i still haven't seen that and i can save that and then okay. we'll both have a that'll fresh be experience. fun um and who the hell knows what that's gonna be like because we'll Ooh. do that after fire walks with, yeah walk with me. that's gonna be um i also i've said this before i'm just gonna say it again we should definitely do mulholland drive which you haven't seen sure this is a Twin Peaks podcast. Okay, it was going to be a backdoor sh- pilot for a show about Audrey. We should do Dune because I have a fan theory that... Uh, <laughs> what's his name? Atre- At- At- Atreus? Anyway. No, no Kyle MacLachlan's <laughs> characters in those, in those universes are the same. Oh. That's my fan theory. Okay. If you play Laura's second last tape backwards... It lays it all out. Um, the spice okay. must flow. Uh, I'll have to go home and do that. Production notes on this one? I didn't really have any. Um, just the use of red and that um, it was Mark Frost's only episode that he directed. Okay. Uh, then let's just do our food segment. Yes. Damn fine food. These, uh, this week it is some, um, what did you say? Marionberry pie? Yeah. Uh, Marionberry pie that you picked up at New Seasons. So is this the second pie from New Seasons that we've done on this show? Yeah. <laughs> We're going to have to find a place in town that's actually known for its pie in a sample. Yep. Um, but, oh, please don't, please don't get fork scraping sounds I'm sorry. on the podcast. Just eat your pie very gently. Um, it's been sitting here for like hours because we... <laughs> I know. It took us like... so long to get recording. <laughs> you just want to enjoy it. Yeah, I I'm kept even... <laughs> picking it up, trying to eat it. Um, does everyone, do all of the listeners know what Marionberry is? What? Um, I Well. Do you know what Marionberry is? I guess I don't. It's just a special strain of blackberry. Okay. Yeah, I guess I didn't know that. But it only grows, well, it doesn't only grow in Oregon, but it's like grown in Oregon. I'm going to have to keep vamping, though, while you eat, because I'm not going to go back and edit out, like, long silences of us both eating pie. Like, that's not going to happen. I'm not going to put that much effort into the I just want to eat this pie. Yeah, so I'm just going to have to talk about 
the experience of sitting here while you eat this pie, which is really funny for me. But also, the more I make you laugh while you try to eat this, the slower you're going to be. So, I've got that to consider. Um, do you like this better than the apple pie we had? Uh, yeah. I'm, I was not a pie fan growing up. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think it's because, like, I think, tell me if I'm way off base here, but I feel like to make a really good apple pie is really hard. Like, really hard. Yeah. Because you can just have it be, like, gross unappealing apple chunks in like watery applesauce as the filling but like yeah. berries like lend themselves to, like nice flavorful pie filling i think yes better i agree not. anyway yeah and i learned things about blackberries this time you have just a little bit of crust left so can we just can you talk about your experience with the pie now i'll take another bite and then we'll finish up the segment okay great finish chewing finish laughing Finish laugh chewing, please. I'm sorry. Your okay. mom is listening to this right now and worried that you're going to choke. Okay? In this very <laughs> moment as she's listening, she's worried that you're going to choke on some pie. God, she's going to, like, call me about this pie, too. <laughs> <laughs> um, Your mom's going to get the wrong idea that you really like New Seasons Pie and then, like, then, like, somehow <laughs> hook you up with, like, a gift card to New Seasons and be like, it's for the pie that you like so much. I would take a gift card to New Seasons. Yeah, I guess that's true. Um, that being said, please send your gift cards to New Seasons to our P.O. Box. Just contact us for that information. Mm-hmm. Our P.O. Box that we totally have. <laughs> yep. For all the fan mail that we get for this podcast. I will say, though, yeah, that's damn fine pie. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Is that all we have to say <laughs> this time? Um... Yeah, no, I I like this pie. <laughs> um, they sell like That's it. I'm putting my foot down. This is a dramatic moment <laughs> for this podcast. Food segments done. We're never doing it again. Okay. I'm going to shoot this food segment. And it's going to turn out next week that damn fine foods had a bulletproof vest on. And it will survive if only because Though the pie was great this week, I still want to sample more donuts. We still have donut places aplenty in town to sample. That we do. And coffee roasters. We're not going to do the one that you're maybe thinking of that's associated with Portland. Oh, God. I wasn't even yeah. thinking about that. Oh, no. I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to the listeners right now. <laughs> if you're thinking of a particular donut brand that like is like the Portland Donut... And they have a, like, They're... vaguely, I mean, well, it's, like, arguably culturally appropriative name. And they have boxes of a distinctive color that you'll see people carrying at the airport and carrying at the big bookstore uh... in town. Not gonna fucking eat those donuts. We're not gonna give those donuts any of our time other than for me to just be ruthlessly mean about them right here right now those donuts ain't shit you just painted a picture of all of my least favorite things about portland <laughs> uh hey i'm gonna, gonna go to this party at an apartment at burnside 26 later um it's really cool they've got kegs in the lobby and stuff just there for the residents seems really dope 
Oh, um, is it like craft beer? Oh, it's craft beer. <laughs> it's craft beer. And then are you going to like go hiking? Have you heard of an I, 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 IPA? No. <laughs> well, I have. Anyway. Um, what else do we have to add to this week? It's already... It's late as hell. Well, yeah, we can add that you heard at the top of the show. At the top of the show, when I do that, I am always saying when we're actually starting the recording, so it's late now. Uh, do the math. Um, yeah. End of season one, and we made it this far as podcasters. I feel like we should pat give ourselves a pat on the back or something for We've been, like, pretty consistent. I'm going to yeah. put that out there. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, hey... Um, I'm Matthew Olson. You can find me on Twitter at Matthew Olson. Uh, spell it right. I do another podcast with my friend Caitlin Best. It's called Can You Get to That? Uh, you can find that at canyougettothat.simplecast.fm. Um, if you enjoyed, uh, say, some of these dumb fan theories uh, <laughs> about Twin Peaks... Or when I insisted that we lived in different timelines, you might be interested in the episode we did uh, about John Titor. Um, it's a Wikipedia game podcast, so we pick a topic and we play the Wikipedia game to get to it. And John Titor is this like supposed time traveler. So oh, shit. All this stuff gets together. I think it's real funny. Gonna record another one tomorrow. That's what I have going. Back-to-back podcasts. Back-to-back podcasts. Ashley, what about you? Um, I'm at Ashley Brandt on Twitter, and um, hopefully in the near future I'm going to have a podcast with our friend Taylor Legrand called The K-Hole, and it's going to be about... It's going to be about drugs. <laughs> it's going to be on Vice. No, um, it's going <laughs> <laughs> um, to be about the Kardashians. Uh, we're just waiting for them to announce when the new episodes are premiering at this point <laughs> also you you gotta get set up with the right equipment right we're working on that yeah we're in the process let me know how recording remote goes or if we're gonna figure that out wanna, yeah um because <laughs> who knows maybe there'll be a time when we need to do that whoa maybe. just saying um the future Aren't you going to also then, if that goes well, start another uh, yeah, I have a <laughs> podcast <laughs> called Straight White Male? Yeah. I really like that idea. <laughs> um, so keep keep an eye out for that. And then uh, I have another idea for a podcast. Though. Okay. Well, you can't have... <laughs> I think it's a little unreasonable if you have four podcasts at this point. I know. Uh you there's time there's time for all these podcasts well, one of them would be a seasonal podcast where me and um sandra deanda um our friend who is a mm -hmm. comedian in portland we would talk about the oscar bait movies oh okay <laughs> and like the Academy yeah that Awards. is very seasonal okay uh otherwise that's it I just feel weird because we didn't crack two hours on this episode. It's, it would seem very us to do that on the finale. Or like somehow we're like forgetting something. But you literally read through a you list of all the cliffhangers. You didn't do Drape Runner Corner. Because Nadine swallows a bunch of pills this episode. It's not funny to be like, oh, my OTP. 
Like, the subject matter is a little too grim uh, for me to do the bit. This might be the the death of Drape Runner Corner. That's true. And I guess you'll have to just tune in to future episodes of this podcast to find out if I find humor in that... <laughs> <laughs> that dead horse <laughs> again or if i ever like pretend to be david lynch barging into the room sorry i should say if david lynch ever comes back to the podcast i shouldn't shouldn't make pretend like i'm him ashley do you have anything to add before signing us off no okay Grapes are right on it. I didn't think you were going to do that one. No, we can't just have that be it all the time. That's not right. <laughs>